Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry. Clay Lowry serves as the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. Over the last two weeks, we had a conversation that I think is going to be relevant for today. Two weeks ago, we talked about the rise of inflation and its impact on monetary policy. Last week, we had a conversation about the Russia-Ukraine crisis, financial sanctions, and the impacts that they play on commodity prices. So today, I thought it would be a good idea to actually talk about that, commodity prices, specifically energy prices, but other prices as well, such as food, and how the Russia-Ukraine situation is exacerbating those issues. So let's start first, though, by talking about energy prices. In 2020, Brent crude oil prices were around $43 a barrel on average. In 2021, they rose to $71 a barrel. And in 2022, IIF economists are predicting that they will rise to over $100 a barrel. So why have we seen a price of oil increase by almost 130% in just two years? Part of this has nothing to do with the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Part of it was that we had an increase in demand. So pent-up demand is the term that you use as people came out of COVID. Now, we haven't completely come out of COVID, but there still was a lot of demand. At the same time, there was a lack of supply. Why was there a lack of supply? There's a variety of reasons, but let me give two. One is OPEC. So what is OPEC? OPEC is the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. Plus, there's other countries that associate themselves with OPEC, including Russia. They manage a lot of oil production. Their exports represent 60% of globally traded petroleum. And as oil demand began to increase in 2021, OPEC only raised production by a very modest amount. So this kind of cut supply down while demand was rising. At the same time, in 2020, because of the lower oil price that was at the time, there was not adequate investment made into alternatives to oil in the energy field. The one we think of in the United States is fracking. And global investment in oil and gas declined by around 30% in 2020. So in order to keep up with growing demand, there had to be more and more investment in that sector. And we started to see that, but it does take time to get online. So again, another factor in supply being lower. But now we have the Russia-Ukraine situation. And the sanctions that have been placed on Russia, and that we discussed last week, the United States has placed sanctions on Russia energy exports, as have the United Kingdom and Canada and other countries. But we have not seen that as much in Western Europe, which is much more dependent on Russian energy. Russia is the second largest oil exporter in global markets after Saudi Arabia. Maybe more importantly, roughly 60% of all of Europe's energy needs are met by energy imports. And let's talk about the importance of Russia to those energy imports. 40% of all EU gas, liquefied natural gas, is imported from Russia. Around 25% of oil that is used in Europe comes from Russia. And almost 50% of coal is imported from Russia. So this has made it harder for the EU to place sanctions on blocking energy imports from Russia. But even if they don't put a formal block, there is over-sanctioning going on, and there's been talk of 
less imports from Russia in Europe. And some of that is going to have an impact on European growth. We've actually thought that it would take about a percent or a percentage and a half hit on GDP for 2022 and 2023 in Europe, a less efficient way for Europe to get energy imports. Let's take a case example of this, which is the largest economy in all of Europe, which is Germany. Germany has already seen over the last few weeks gasoline prices rise to $2.13 euros per liter of gasoline. To put that in U.S. terms, that's $8.92 per U.S. gallon of gas. In the United States, we get concerned when gallons of gas are at $5 a gallon. In Germany, they're practically $9. In 2021, Germany was a large importer of crude oil. About 35% of it was from Russia, making Russia Germany's largest oil importer. Germany is also the biggest importer of natural gas in the world, with 95% of its natural gas coming from imports, particularly from Russia. While Germany's dependence on energy imports has led the country to push initiatives to create renewable energy sources, this transition will take time, and we're not anywhere near that. So what is the impact on Germany's economy from all of this? If you go and look at a variety of different economists, they have tried to make assumptions on what will happen to German economic growth. German economic growth before the Russia-Ukraine situation was roughly about somewhere between 2 and 3% of GDP a year growth rate. Economists have said that because of what's happening with the sanctioning regime, particularly on energy issues, it could hit Germany's economy by anything from 0.5 percentage points of GDP to 5 percentage points of GDP. Now, what that really means is basically that's a huge divergence, and it basically is saying that economists are taking a blindfold and then throwing a dart. And that's basically what's happened. The energy importation is such a big deal that you have to just make a variety of scenarios in order to play them out to try to figure out what Germany's growth would be like. But let's move beyond just energy imports. The increase in commodity prices is another issue that's going to happen. Last week, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres stated that the war in Ukraine could actually lead to a global hunger crisis. Now, why is that? There's a few different reasons. One reason is that Russia and Ukraine together supply about a third of all wheat exports in the world. Ukraine itself is the third largest exporter of corn and a top exporter of barley, rye, sunflower oil, eggs, and potatoes. Given supply chain disruptions and fuel shortages in Ukraine, the country's agricultural sector, known as the breadbasket of Europe, is frankly close to collapsing. Since Ukraine is one of Europe's top sources of agricultural imports, we may see price spikes for agricultural commodities and food shortages in Europe. Moving beyond Europe, the Middle East is said to even have greater food shortages. For example, Lebanon imports 80% of its wheat from Ukraine. And Egypt, who imports Black Sea wheat, so Black Sea is Russia and Ukraine, is also experiencing rising costs of food items such as bread. Egypt now has to set a fixed price for unsubsidized bread to counter rising food prices. And just recently, we saw that Egypt had to devalue its currency because of pressure that's been building on the economy. Another reason that there's a fear of a global hunger crisis is because fertilizer prices are going to rise steeply. 
Russia exports roughly 14% of all global fertilizer exports and is the biggest exporter of nitrogen fertilizer. In addition, Russia produces two-thirds of the annual production of ammonium nitrate, which is also used in fertilizer. These skyrocketing fertilizer prices will impact global markets all the way to Brazil's soybeans, Chinese livestock, and even Costa Rican coffee. From an overall macroeconomic standpoint, the rise of commodity prices is going to have an impact on both inflation and on economic growth. I mentioned a little bit of that when we were talking about Germany. On inflationary terms, we already are experiencing 40-year highs on inflation. Commodity prices can be a very significant aspect. With an increase in prices like we have already seen in just the last few weeks, this is going to clearly have an impact on people's pricing for groceries, gasoline, and housing costs, just to name a few things. At IAF, we've tried to look at what the impact will be on GDP. Europe is already seeing that it's going to have a pretty significant impact. Some would say it'll have about a 0.8 percentage point impact on economic growth, but it will also have an impact on the U.S. economy and on the Chinese economy. Now, there will be some countries that will actually benefit from these rising prices. Canada, Qatar, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia are just a few examples. IIF economists have actually estimated that Saudi Arabia may see a 2.8 percentage point increase in GDP due to these higher commodities. So let's get to the three, two, one. My three takeaways today are one, energy prices were already high in 2021 due to increased demand and a lack of supply in the oil and gas markets. However, the sanctions placed on Russia has exacerbated these prices, particularly for European countries. Second, in addition to energy prices, the Russia-Ukraine crisis is impacting food prices around the world. Third, inflation has reached a 40-year high in the United States and in other countries. And if there was a hope that the world would start to see inflation coming back down closer to a normal inflation rate, I think that the Russia-Ukraine crisis has put all of that on pause. Two things I'm watching. One, how do commodity prices affect countries, particularly countries that already had vulnerabilities, such as Turkey, which is both a large commodity importer and have balance of payments vulnerabilities? And second, I'm looking forward to a conversation we're having on March 30th, the IAF's Global Macro Call, where we're going to have experts talking about commodity prices and the impact that it could have on the global economy. Finally, my sports topic this week is going to be related to energy prices because I want to talk about the sport that probably uses the most, Formula One racing. For those of you who are unaware of it, Formula One is an auto racing sport that has raced all over the world. Last year's Formula One competition came down to the last race, in fact, the last lap of the last race, and Max Verstappen, a Dutch driver, beat out arguably the greatest racer in the history of Formula One, Lewis Hamilton, who is from England. Verstappen won the race and the annual title which stopped Hamilton from becoming the racer who has won the most titles in the history of Formula One. He currently has seven World Drivers' Championships, which is only matched by German Michael Schumacher, who did this back about 20 years ago. 
So this year, as we are just starting the Formula One racing season, we're starting it in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, and it'll soon take us all around the world. Can Verstappen do it again? Can Lewis Hamilton actually overtake Michael Schumacher as the greatest racer ever? Or will a third driver, who we don't even know, come up and rise and win it instead? Anyway, thank you very much for listening to today's episode. As always, if you have questions, feedback, comments, concerns, let us know. I'm Clay Lowry, and I'll see you next week on Current Account. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show, as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at IIF.com. Please make sure to tune in next Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.